Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, everyone. Today, we have another Kickstarter Backer Rewards episode. I'll be answering a listener question, and then we'll have another message from a listener with some Byzantine book recommendations. The question posed to me also touches on books. Uh, Listener RB asks about what goes into each episode, how much research, how many books and other sources, in other words, a day in the life of a podcaster. As most of you will have worked out over the years, The answer is very different depending on whether I'm researching the narrative or for the end of the century. With the narrative, things are relatively straightforward. I'm looking at things from the perspective of the Byzantine state, I stick to a chronological order of events, and ideally, I can produce an episode within a week. For the end of the century, I often have to research a whole topic before I realise how much of it will be relevant to the show, And because Byzantine history often lacks good sources, in order to tell you about what happened in 1025, I have to read everything that happened between 900 and 1100 in a particular field, the the military, Constantinople, the Arab world, the Balkans, and so on. This can often take weeks, uh, but I find it usually provides insights that were worth finding, and uh, they in turn enrich the rest of the show. So, with the narrative, I start with the best secondary sources. In other words, modern historians who try to put together a coherent narrative, passing through the sources to remove inaccuracies or fill in gaps in our knowledge. Not a huge amount of books actually do this. Most are specific to a time period or a topic. For a long time, I used Warren Treadgold's A History of the Byzantine State and Society in combination with Mark Witto's The Making of Orthodox Byzantium, both excellent in different ways. For our current period, as you know, Anthony Caldellis's Streams of Gold, Rivers of Blood is absolutely ideal. In it, he goes through both the ancient sources and more recent histories Uh, deconstructing blind alleys that scholars have wandered up. I then follow the footnotes. Any scholar who has a different interpretation of an event is extremely valuable, and usually quite rare. If they don't write in English, I have to try and find those who might summarize their arguments. 
Uh, I remember the the mysteries over Thomas the Slav's identity were a nightmare because the best book was in French and my French is very basic. I'll then read the primary sources, depending again on there being an English translation. And generally with the narrative, the most complicated part isn't the note-taking, but the actual structure of an episode. It's easy to fall into the trap of saying, then the emperor did this, and then the emperor did that, and becoming boring. Or of saying, the emperor wanted this, so he did that, which might sound innocuous, but it's very easy to start applying intentions to behavior on the basis of little or no evidence. I mean, it would be a dull show if I kept saying, we think the emperor did this, but it's hard to tell, and he probably wanted to achieve this, but we don't know, and so on. But I'm also wary of presenting too strong a point of view on the emperor's intentions, unless the evidence is very strong. Otherwise, you can end up with the type of caricatures which Antony Caldellis is busy deconstructing. The image of Basil II as bitterly pursuing the Bulgarians until he blinded them all comes from drawing too strong an emotional conclusion from very little evidence. I think it's a better show when we acknowledge the existence of these caricatures but present a better rounded picture. Usually when I start a new era I will be in the library a lot but sometimes I purchase a book so I can work from home more easily Sometimes I can find PDF scans of books online. Uh, older sources have generally been put up for free already. Eventually, with the narrative, I'm able to work from home quite a bit and have to take regular breaks for my eyes, which quickly burn out if I look up and down from book to screen for hour after hour. With uh, a Byzantine story or the end of the century, I have to be in the library all the time. Uh, though again, more and more articles are finding their way online, which is a great help to me. With both of these types of episodes, I have to read a lot. I have to read some books which are really boring to find tiny morsels that are relevant to us, or really interesting books that sadly aren't appropriate for the show. When I find an article summarizing a topic in a lively and accessible way, I am extremely happy. Writing those episodes can be quite tough. I often struggle to synthesize large amounts of information, and sometimes I write an episode two or three times, or at least I get halfway through it before having to start again just because the approach was wrong. I find it quite difficult to write the structure out in advance. Um, sometimes it's better to just start writing and sense how it sounds and how it feels and how the various bits of the various threads are going to come together. Um, but then again, the advantage of those types of episodes is that I've been able to experiment, um, bringing in guest voices or sound effects or writing a fictional narrative or just doing things in a different way or a different order to how the narrative episodes unfold. My least favorite part of the process is recording the episodes. I get a dry throat very quickly and I'm often afraid that I've forgotten to edit out a horrible cough that I did. Uh, my voice gets tired sometimes when I've planned the day around recording at a certain time, and so that's occasionally delayed episodes or at least pushed them back a day. 
Occasionally I find I've written a sentence that can't actually be said aloud in a natural way. Uh, I often make little editing mistakes. Editing the episode is really tedious. Uh, Thank you to listener AX for helping correct many mistakes I've made over the years. Um, Thanks to all of you, of course, I'm now able to do this full-time, which makes a huge difference. I wouldn't have been able to do the volume of research I've done if I still had a day job. When I started, I was working from about five books, and hence why there were more factual errors at the start of the show and less nuance in explaining the actions of emperors. I think there's something nice about how the show has evolved, um, as I have. It's gotten more detailed and more in-depth as I've learnt more. And that is, to me, the essence of the show, that I go out and learn something that I didn't know and explain it to you. Um, Occasionally people will say to me, um, you know, what do you think about this that happened in 1347? And I'm like, well, I haven't actually studied that period yet. I mean, so my opinion on it means very little. Um, Obviously, I'm aware of the basic outline, but generally, when you go in depth on things, you then discover all sorts of angles and ideas that occur to you and what you knew before get sort of overwritten. Um, I uh, Anyway, going back to the early episodes, I imagine they could be considerably improved upon, but hopefully it's... Um, Hopefully it's a charm of the show that I've gotten better or at least know a lot more and can add more depth as we've gone on. I'm fortunate that uh, Acast and Libsyn and others have made hosting and posting podcasts really easy. I'm not very technical and the infrastructure of selling episodes has caused many headaches, the details of which I don't fully understand. In the future, hopefully, platforms will develop that can help podcasters out. Um, I do like selling episodes um, because that's what I want from the podcasters I like. I want more good content. I don't want to buy mugs or t-shirts or whatever, so I stick to the audio. Um, That does, of course, take more time to produce, but uh, listeners are very kind and generous to the show. So until I I hear a, a majority saying otherwise, I'll stick to it. Um, I spend some. Of them, I spend a lot of time answering listener emails. I answer every email I get. I check every Facebook and Twitter message uh, when I can. Um, I'm always happy to help. Uh, people often send emails asking for help with their studies or whatever. Um, and 99% of people are polite and kind. Uh, and uh, lots of people are very, very lovely about me and the show, which is great. And, you know... It, I I am always grateful. Um, I did write down a list of ideas a while ago about trying to market the show or improve the show in various ways, and I've still got nowhere near that list. I haven't touched it because producing the show takes all the time I can give, and now with the Kickstarter, I'm going to be flat out until 2019. I'm very lucky that iTunes uh, and obviously all the apps that feed off its database is the accepted way to find new podcasts and that um, people keep finding the show and that helps keep the show going. Um, So, yeah, that's a day in the life of a podcaster, pretty much. I am happy to make book recommendations and pass on PDFs to listeners who ask, which brings us to Listener SP. 
another Kickstarter backer who uh, wanted to send a message to his fellow listeners. And uh, here he is with some specific books he thinks you might enjoy and some thoughts on the show. Hello, everyone. My name is Stephen Pappas, and I'm an amateur history buff from New York City. I have been listening to the History of Byzantium since the early days of the podcast. This is the very first history podcast that I listened to on a consistent basis, and through this podcast, I was exposed to other excellent historical narratives, such as Norman centuries and the history of Bulgaria. The first thing I want to do here is to give credit and gratitude to Robin Pearson for the fantastic work that he produces for the History of Byzantium. The amount of effort, research, and dedication he pours into the podcast is highly admirable, and he greatly expanded my knowledge and appreciation for the often neglected and forgotten history of the Eastern Roman Empire. I will certainly remain to be an avid listener until the podcast arrives in the fateful year of 1453. With that, I want to take my opportunity here on the podcast to recommend some quality books relating to Byzantine history. For the casual history reader, I would highly suggest checking out Lost to the West by Lawrence Brownsworth. If you want an easy-to-read but concise breakdown of the major events and figures of the over 1,000-year history of the Byzantine Empire, then this is the book for you. It's a fairly short read at only around 350 pages, but the book is rather thorough and gives a fantastic overall analysis of the important milestones and key events that shaped the fate of the empire. Of course, for the more detailed and thorough analysis of the countless battles, betrayals, emperors, uprising, etc. that define Byzantine history, we are lucky to have Robin's podcast as an invaluable resource. But for those who are just starting to get into the fold with this era of history, then this book is a great introduction to the Byzantine universe. Another book I highly recommend to listeners of the podcast is 1453, The Holy War for Constantinople and the Clash of Islam in the West. By Roger Crowley. Now I know this period is jumping far ahead from where Robin left us off at the podcast, as we are currently at the apogee of Byzantine power at 1025 AD, with the conclusion of the reign of the soldier emperor Basil II. However, the fall of Constantinople to the Ottoman Turks is an incredibly important story in history that deserves to be thoroughly explored and talked about. It is a milestone moment in world history, marking the end of not only the Roman Empire, but also of over 2,000 years of Greco-Roman civilization and influence, and in transition away from the Middle Ages and towards the age of gunpowder, colonization, and the Renaissance. Unlike the end of the Western Roman Empire, which, en which uh, ended with a whimper, the end of the Eastern Empire concluded on a more definitive note, as it went out in a true last stand. Mr. Crowley gives us a detailed and thorough analysis on those bleak final months of the Byzantine Empire. Now, I know Robin will do a captivating job when he eventually reaches the final siege of the capital city in a future episode of the podcast, but if you're already eager to hear the story of Constantine XI fighting to the very end to defend the city and in the glory of Romania, then you simply must read this book. The narrative gives a vivid account of what was going on in the city in this epic, conclusive siege. Mr. Crowley does a great job in giving a fair analysis on both the Byzantines and their Italian allies, as well as the Ottomans and their vassals. One of my favorite aspects of this book is that you really get a sense of what it was like during this highly sophisticated and brutal siege of the city of Constantine. Think back to the episode of the podcast where Robert pretends you're a Byzantine border guard in the outskirts of Anatolia, putting you in the shoes of someone who had to live through relentless Arab assaults in extremely hostile environments. 
This book gives you a sense of what it was like living under the, on an impoverished city facing daily bombardment from massive cannons, running short of manpower and supplies, and trying desperately to survive through onslaughts of naval assaults, infantry raids, and crumbling walls, and under constant missile fire. You get a glimpse of what it might have been going through Constantine XI's mind as he pondered whether or not to flee from the city or dare to defy odds and stay to hold out against a determined enemy in the hopes that the siege will be broken, either through Western aid or through God's divine intervention. Likewise, you get to comprehend Mehmet II's calculated and cunning nature and begin to understand his brilliant strategic mind and his obsession with taking the Queen of Cities. There are so many dynamics going on during the final siege of Constantinople. There is so much at stake, and so many things will change forever after this event of macro-historical importance. This book puts it all together in a concise fashion. For any lover visiting history, I highly urge you to read this book to get a new appreciation and understanding of Constantinople's final hour. I have so many more visiting topics I would like to discuss, such as the events that led to the defeat in the Battle of Manzikert to the Seljuks and the irreplaceable loss of Anatolia for the Roman state. But I know my time is limited, so I'll wrap up here. I want to thank Robin for giving me the opportunity to be part of this fantastic podcast, and I wish him the very best of luck in his upcoming trip to Istanbul. Thank you so much, Stephen, for your support and your kind message and recommendations. I'm pleased to say that both Lost to the West and 1453 are available on audible.com, so you can listen to them for free at audibletrial.com forward slash tvcritic. That will sign you up for a month's trial of Audible service, and you can check out their 100,000 plus titles while you're there and cancel any time. So I should be back in the UK around about the time that you're listening to this episode. So I'll be back at my desk and uh, in the library soon and uh, working on more episodes about Constantinople, and then we move on further east in our end-of-the-century tour. Thanks for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 